are recording. Hello, listeners, wherever you are, and welcome to Fix This Flick, a podcast for two millennials who waste their votes on the Green Party, deconstruct your favorite films, and tell you how we'd make them better. I'm your host, Ali, and due to pandemic lockdown reasons, but I'm not complaining, I am joined yet again by last episode's guest, Shannon. You're really hurting for company, aren't you? I really am. I haven't Mm. seen anyone besides you in months. And loving it. We were talking about what movie to fix this time, and we decided to escape the romance, sci-fi, and horror movies that I've been doing a lot lately on the podcast to explore something different, the world of social justice movies. You know, movies that deal with subjects like the oppression of the system, whether it's corporations or the government as well as movies that explore racism, sexism, violence, or maybe all of the above. Or to be more specific, I should say, movies that try to explore those issues and fail miserably. Which brings us to this episode's movie. We'll be covering a few social justice movies over the next couple episodes of Fix This Flick. And to start us off, we figured we couldn't go wrong with the mess of a movie that is 2017's Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. You read Welby? Yes, ma'am. How may I help you? I hear those three billboards out on Drinkwater Road. Here's 5000 for the first month, and here's what the billboards ought to say. I guess you're Angela Hayes' mother. That's right. I'm Angela Hayes' mother. Sunshine beating on a good time. So, Mildred Hayes, why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. Hey, you. What is this? Advertising, I guess. Advertising what? Something obscure? I'll say. I don't think those billboards is very fair. Time it took you to get out here. Some other poor girl's probably out there being butchered right now. We've had complaints about those billboards. From who? The lady with a funny eye and a fat dentist. Jesus Christ. The town is dead set against these billboards. Took a poll, did you, Father? Go, girl. It's like we get a war on our hands. You take me down and arrest me. I got nothing to arrest you for. Not yet, you ain't. You know who threw that can? What can? How about you, sweetheart? Ain't life crazy? All this anger, man. Just begets greater anger. This time, the chick ain't losing. For any folks out there who would want this, because I probably would, this movie contains sexual assault, and we'll be discussing that a little bit, because we gotta, it's in the plot. After police are unable to find the man who raped and murdered her daughter, Mildred, played by Frances McDormand, rents out the movie's titular three billboards, using them to call out police chief Willoughby, played by Woody Harrelson, for his department's failure. This quickly turns most of the town against Mildred, including her own son and ex-husband, as well as police officer Dixon, played by Sam Rockwell, a racist and violent alcoholic, who gets locked into an unpredictable and brutal battle of intimidation with her that threatens to consume them both. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is a dark comedy, I 
think, from Martin McDonough, the British director of other dark comedies like In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. Despite being comedies, McDonough explores moral dilemmas in his movies. In Bruges, for example, is about a hitman who accidentally kills a child in one of his jobs and the guilt he experiences afterwards. I'm actually a big fan of In Bruges, but Three Billboards is by far McDonough's biggest hit, winning more than 100 awards, including Best Drama at the Golden Globes and two acting Oscars for Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell. Three Billboards grossed more than $200 million worldwide. That's in Canadian dollars for any American listeners out there, far exceeding the indie hit expectations its filmmakers likely had for it. Three Billboards also currently sits at number 151 in IMDb's top 250. What do you think about that? It's ridiculously high. I don't know what else to say. But uh, faithful listeners will know our routine by now. We'll unpack the movie to figure out why it was so popular and what exactly we didn't like about it. We'll discuss what worked for us too and think of a few things that might improve it. And then we'll pass our final judgment on whether Three Billboards is fixable, fine just as it is, or damaged beyond repair. And as always, spoiler alert from here on out. So Shannon, was this another movie that you missed out on when you were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Yes, apparently my record for saying bright-eyed and bushy-tailed was two in the last podcast, so I need to get it now to at least three in this one. But no, my, uh, my young self never heard of this movie. In fact, I just found out about it when I watched it with you. But much like the movie we did last time, The Notebook, Three Billboards is a pretty straightforward movie to explain plot-wise. It's basically the story of a mother whose daughter, teenage daughter, is raped and murdered. Police can't find out who did it, and so she's pissed off. And she puts up these three signs. So the signs basically say, uh, raped while dying and still no arrests. How come Chief Willoughby, Chief Willoughby is played by Woody Harrelson, that just starts this whole chain of events, pisses off the locals, it pisses off the police, Mildred's own family. Uh, her son is upset because it dredges up all of this, you know, trauma from the horrific way his sister died. It pisses off the ex-husband who doesn't live with her anymore. And we find out that he was a wife beater. He beat up Mildred when they were married together. And he does a little bit during the film as well. A little bit as well. Yeah, we'll get More into that, that in a second. Yeah. So yeah, the whole movie set in this little town, Ebbing, Missouri. I'm not sure if it's a real town or not. Would you say this movie is supposed to take place in a realistic world? Is it supposed to be surrealist? Well, I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it did feel a little bit off to me. There are some great dark comedies out there. I'm a fan of dark comedies. The first, more, most recent thing that comes to mind when I think of the genre is Bojack Horseman, where it has scenes where I'm legitimately like sad and depressed, but also laughing about it at the same time because it's so fused together. Things can be dark and things can be funny at the same time. But this movie kind of tried to put things right next to each other. Like it's all sad and then all of a sudden it's funny and then it's sad again. And it just was pretty confusing to watch. Yeah, there's there's a lot of scenes where one of the characters, let's say Mildred, is experiencing the feelings of loss and grief over her daughter's death, and then the movie immediately goes into some sort of whimsical humor or, or violence. Like The best example I can think of is uh, there's a confrontation between Mildred and her ex-husband, where the ex-husband is just pissed off over these three billboards. He pushes Mildred against the wall. 
and their son pulls a knife on his dad. Right in this heated moment, the young girlfriend of the ex-husband comes in and... Yeah, it turns into a sitcom. She's like, oh, sorry, am I interrupting this serious domestic dispute? And the whole tone changes. Kind of ruins it in a way, ruins the drama at least. And that's something that happens over and over and over again. One scene that confused me as a watcher or as a viewer was when Mil Mildred is, she wakes up and she's really emotional, thinking about her daughter, thinking about the tragedy that happened and the lack of response she's getting in support from the town and she's crying and it's pretty moving. And then she starts talking to her socks and her socks start talking to each other and all of a sudden it's just funny. And we just lose that moment of anguish that she was going to just a second before. If I was to compare it to In Bruges, which is a similar movie in the sense that it is exploring very heavy issues, like I mentioned earlier, the main character accidentally kills a kid, shoots a kid in the head, I think. Yet it manages to weave in all this humor from the circumstances he finds himself in. And there's something about this movie where those elements of humor, which are throughout the movie, don't quite mesh or blend with the serious parts. And I think one of the reasons for that is because this movie is trying to explore this very heavy issue and is looking for humor in all of the wrong places. There was one scene that comes to mind is actually where they kind of get it right. Mildred and her son are driving home and these three billboards, they're kind of off the main routes, but they are on the road back to Mildred's house. So they're driving and as they start approaching the billboard, her son says, ah, the old raped while dying route home. And that I kind of felt like <laughs> I, I agree. got that it. Was good. Yeah, it was, that was good, good because we felt like his exasperation at having to relive this every time he goes to his house. And that comedy actually started dramatic scene between him and his mom. It was that organic. That was really powerful. So maybe the key was like putting the comedy in the right time because it started funny and then turned dark as opposed to it being dark and then trying to interrupt it with like a lighthearted sitcom moment. It is. It actually is a very good way of describing it where like a sitcom, you'd, you'd have that heavy moment of drama or whatever it is. Like I'm thinking of something like Full House where one of the characters is in the hospital or hurt like broke their leg and then at the end of that scene it just hits you with the you know gives you the catharsis of the laughter right yeah but this movie is dealing with much stronger themes than i think an episode of full house ever did but i didn't that finish the reboot to be fair maybe they talk about neither it. did i what can i say <laughs> the other aspect of the movie that i thought was jarring was the frequent violence you you witness throughout so mildred does this thing and the town's folk aren't happy and they really make their feelings known. She goes to her dentist. Her dentist shockingly just doesn't give her uh, pain medication, which she, like Novocaine, I think, yeah, right before her procedure. Ask, ask she has to ask it. for it. And then he looms over her like he's about to just like really drill into her head. Just to make it even more shocking, she grabs the drill and then puts it through his, his thumb, right? His well, thumbnail. To be fair, as he's looming over her, he says, you know, I'm in support of Chief Willoughby. So he kind of makes himself an enemy of her in that minute. If I were her, I'd probably be pretty uncomfortable with someone saying that to me before jamming a drill into my mouth. But then she takes it back on him. She's pretty violent. And there's violence throughout the whole movie. A guy goes into her shop the first time a character is ever introduced. We'll talk about this character more at the end because he's a side character, but kind of important. But he ends up just like throwing something at the wall. 
there there's violence in almost every scene and i remember as we were watching it saying like it's kind of like senseless violence like if this were an, an action movie i'd be like it's too much violence but i think i'm actually coming around on it now and i think i see what they were doing with it because her daughter was killed in senseless violence you know and i think raped while dying she was also her daughter actually was also burned um and she burned to death while she was being raped and that is an act of census violence so i maybe i see what the director's kind of doing is immersing us um in this world making us feel like man things don't make any sense all these bad things happen so i think i'm coming around on it like i understand why he did it but it was a little bit jarring it did add to the jarring tone of the movie what i'd add to that is it does have that senseless aspect to it that could be interesting but i think what takes away from it is that it seems to exist in this world where it's consequence three and I don't mean consequence three in the way, you know, the, the villains just get away with it in the end where it's not in a realistic world. So the thing that happens with her, the dentist, uh, nothing comes of it. She gets arrested briefly, but she's released because it's, you know, he said, she said. But you know what else? Nothing came of her daughter's death. So it kind of follows suit. You know, they're living in a world where there really is chaos and very little consequence for people's actions. But hold on, there's there's more. It's, it's an accumulation thing. So there's other time when she's dropping off her son at school one of the classmates of her son throws a bottle or something at her car when she's dropping him off and she steps outside and kicks two of them right in the crotch that's true no consequences we don't hear about it again we don't hear the school calling to complain about it or the parents of those kids and to be honest with you i don't buy that that was done to convey the senselessness of violence in, in the world it was done for a laugh it was done for a laugh it was done to just show she was hateful and angry but that's what i mean when you have these things happen and there's just no consequences it's, it's like a cartoon you know those looney tunes cartoons uh, wily e. coyote and roadrunner just maiming each other hitting each other and they're just fine and then the next time nothing really happens and that's what it really felt to me because these are just two or three examples we've given when there's many there's a moral to this movie that's brought up by some characters and that is quote hate begets hate so that's something that you can definitely tell from the scenes that we've described um, up till this point and the question is yeah sure hate begets hate but how do you make that funny and how do you make that work for a dark comedy when it's a pretty dark premise so if I was to summarize just this first major objection of the movie, it's that I don't feel like the comedy elements or the surreal elements or whatever you want to call them in this movie serves its objective well because it just t takes away its impact and it doesn't feel grounded in reality. And maybe that has a little bit to do with the director not actually being American. I don't know. But yeah, like what, what is this town? It seemed like it was trying really hard to be a quintessential right-wing, politically incorrect town. Just almost even through dialogue alone or alluding to all this racism that we actually don't really see on the screen that much. Although we'll talk about that more later. It kind of reminded me of Shameless, um, the TV show, where... On the one hand, they do kind of immerse you into this family's lives and the chaos of the way they live and how they've grown up this way. But on the other hand, sometimes they're like, we're from the South Side. We're from the South. It's like, oh my gosh, stop saying you're from the South Side. So I think this movie was lacking that immersive element, but it was still trying to really just tell you, yeah, this is a politically incorrect place. It's really a shame because I actually thought Frances McDormand is pretty good in this movie as Mildred. I really felt her anguish at times and I really felt what it would feel like to just have something be done about this thing that you're powerless about and how all these, you know, forces in your your society and your life just seem to be 
treating you like you are the aggressor when you you just want justice for your daughter and i thought that was really well done and it was a shame that if anything those humorous elements or whatever you want to call them the dark comedy aspects worked against her great performance and when it's all said and done she did not back down there are so many times where i'm like yeah i would have given in by now yeah i would have given in then too that she does not give in this is another example of something that i did enjoy that they did well is when i think a reverend or something whatever whatever they're called from the church comes by to her house and unsubtly insinuates that maybe she should take those billboards down and also that maybe she should go to church more often <laughs> yeah yeah and she gives him this amazing retort where she talks about complicity which i think is one of the themes of the movie what is maybe her issue with the police chief willoughby which we'll talk about in a second where if you're a priest and you're involved in this you know massive organization that is she accused, compares it to a gang yeah she compares it to a gang and in this case the gang is guilty of molesting children and that shuts him up pretty quickly i actually enjoyed that and i wish there was more of it because again i think that was a bit more organic which takes us to what i would say are the two main issues of the movie besides just the jarring tone and that would be the two other main characters and we'll start with chief willoughby he approaches mildred and he tells her you know we did everything we could realistically do there's no dna there's no witnesses what else can we really do and she's not happy with that from his perspective what really could you do within just your own resources but also what the police we observe are you know a bunch of inept people who seem to just not be doing anything all day so it's hard to tell what the truth is exactly yes the police are not cast in a favorable light chief willoughby is probably the most forgiving of all the police characters but for the most part they do seem like a bunch of imbeciles what ends up happening is he reveals to her that he's dying of cancer i think as an attempt to get her to back down on these billboards but she refuses to back down and very <laughs> very soon after we see a scene of him bonding with his wife and his daughters and then the next scene after that almost he shoots himself in the head commits suicide i guess to avoid the pain of the terminal cancer that's awaiting him well you say i guess to avoid the pain of terminal cancer but there really wasn't any ambiguity about that at all he says he sends a series of letters to people to his wife he sends a letter to mildred he sends a letter to one of his other police officers um, explaining everything about his suicide and i think that would actually have been a great opportunity for a little bit more ambiguity um, in terms of did mildred's billboards influence his decision to commit suicide that's what everyone in the town suspects and blames her for after his death but that lasts all of five seconds because the letters come out saying i had nothing to it had nothing to do with the billboards in fact little twist i actually paid next month's rents on the billboards because i want them to think that you did it as a little joke to get back at her as a fix i think they should have not left it so crystal clear that he didn't blame her or that she wasn't you know a little bit involved in his death at least one of the letters was voiceover while he's committing suicide so even if you had just left it to a little bit after so show him commit suicide at least give the audience that moment of oh wow did this have something to do with mildred you know but that moment was completely glossed over because we know even before he does anything that it's because of his cancer and not only if i was to put myself in the head of the uh, the minds of the filmmakers a little bit they want us to feel that her cause was righteous really i thought that they were being a little bit more hard on her like i think she does have flaws i think there are certain moments where her violence is exaggerated 
and it is question questioning like okay has she gone too far is this campaign really helping anything i think it does raise those questions but I, i think they do it in a way in which they don't want you to question it too much it doesn't i think having that ambiguity would finally give some real cost of what she was doing you know this person died because of what she was doing besides actually all the things that she's been doing is kicking teenagers in the crotch and stuff and well i would imagine that in a social justice movie ambiguity is one's friend because of course none of these issues are totally black and white there are a lot of nuance but that's not really the time that we live in right now people aren't super embracing of nuance when it comes to social justice so maybe that's just the way it is no apparently not yeah just, just to give an example of something that that was in the movie a little bit earlier and maybe showing how this movie lacks any nuance is the flashback to the memory of the last thing mother and daughter said to each other oh, yeah. what yeah, was, was it exactly cringy. the last thing the daughter storms out they're having a fight mother daughter fight and the daughter says fine if you won't let me use your car i'm gonna walk and I hope I get raped. And maybe she might have even said, I hope I get raped and murdered. And then the mother retorts, yeah, I hope you get raped and murdered too. And that's the last time they ever spoke. Dun, dun, dun. It's, it's just so... It's, Boy, it's she a must feel guilty. And it's really on the nose. Oh, it was that was really hard to watch. So I think that Chief Willoughby, he's supposed to be the moral balance of the movie. And so on one side, we have Mildred. And on the other side, we have... The third character who we haven't talked about yet really and that's officer dixon who's a subordinate of chief willoughby he's played by sam rockwell in this movie dixon is or we're told anyway because we don't see this uh, he's a racist and he's apparently been violent to a couple of black people in town or i i don't even know he's done bad things to black people that's what we're told and he's an alcoholic and he's prone to outbursts of violence he lives with his mother who is actually a decent character for comedic relief his mother reminds me of the mother from throw mama from the train which is a movie that i was probably a bright-eyed bushy tailed child when i saw but she's just a caricature of a hick mama who's cranky and bossy yeah and has a lot of influence over his life officer dixon is probably the most caricaturous of a character there are times saying like man is this guy like just the butt of all the jokes but at the same time he's kind of portrayed as a pretty douchebaggy guy if you put him in a cartoon you wouldn't really have to change much which is why I thought it was really surprising that I'm I'm a big fan of Sam Rockwell, but it was so surprising that he won an Oscar for this movie of all the movies he's he's done. I can think of two or three movies that I think he was way better in because his role is very important in this movie because he has the biggest journey of change in the movie. So in the beginning, he's this bigot and he really ramps up the intimidation battle with Mildred so he's like threatening her left and right and he tries to intimidate the the person who's in charge of putting up the billboards to get him to stop and when he doesn't intimidating you mean he throws him out of a window does he beat him up a bit too before he throws him out of the window yeah I think so yeah yeah and again no consequences for that is that part of the movie's greater theme and he receives a letter from Willoughby as well in a very pivotal moment of the movie yes so officer dixon has a redemption story which can be summarized very quickly because it didn't take very long at all happens in over five minutes yep so he gets a letter from the recently deceased chief willoughby the letter says basically i know you have a kind heart underneath it all and if you ever want to be a detective which i think you do what you really need to have is love deep 
And this good heart of his is news to all of us. But I mean, a dead man wrote it, so I guess we're going to believe it. Yeah, and it moved him. It, it moved did. Him so much. Meanwhile, as he's reading this letter with earbuds in, Mildred is throwing Molotov cocktails at the police station. Which is empty except for... For him. He's being engulfed in flames, but he doesn't yet know it. So as he's finished reading this letter, he looks and he sees that he's surrounded by fire and he throws himself into the flames lands outside out the window onto the street kind of burnt but like a phoenix rising from the ashes ah but what does he do before he jumps out of the police station oh true he saves the case file for mildred's daughter i don't know what the advantage of doing that was like was there anything in the file that couldn't be saved is it just the metaphor of him doing it yeah i guess it's whatever he wanted to do right by her he wanted to do right by mildred yeah to your point that you mentioned just a second ago we're told that he's a decent person at heart but if you think about what we witness of him in the movie he's just either he's a cartoonish buffoon or he's ultra violent and that's all you get with this character but once he goes through this experience the letter the surviving the fire and he's burned pretty bad actually may i cut in the final moment of his redemption is when he goes to the hospital he's a burn victim and he ends up sharing a room with the man who he threw out the window and the man first the man doesn't recognize him He offers him a glass of orange juice. Officer Dixon speaks and reveals who he is. So obviously the guy who he threw out the window does recognize him. And he still gives him the orange juice. And he cries. Mm-hmm. So, so all those... is forgiven and that's the moment he changes. <laughs> yeah, those three things happen in quick succession. And this character is, I don't know, either redeemed or on the path to redemption. I would say this is where I have another major problem with this movie because... So it's exploring this unsolved murder and the complicity of the police and their, you know, ineptitude. But I would say it's trying to explore racism as well with this racist cop. He doesn't like when Willoughby's replacement comes in and it's a black person who promptly fires him. And that's why he was in the police station, because he was just leaving his keys and never coming back. And... What would you say this movie says about racism? I have actually an observation about that because definitely, you know, from all of the people in the town like to point fingers and say, oh, you beat up black people. You're a racist. You're a racist. So we understand that racism is bad in the movie. Um, But at the same time, all of the main characters are white. There are three black characters. So Ali mentioned the police chief who takes over for Willoughby. Mildred has a female friend who was arrested briefly. She's arrested because they're trying to get at her or get at Mildred through her. And also one of the people who put up the billboards. um, Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. And he actually... He comes to help her to re-put up the billboards because at some point somebody burns the billboards down and then he shows up saying, actually, hey, there's duplicates. And then he helps Mildred put them back up. And then there's a scene later where the guy from the billboards and Mildred's friend are hanging out together at a bar. So those are the three most important black characters. And they do have important impacts on the plot, but they're not important characters in and of themselves, I would say. So as much as this movie wants to say, hey, I'm taking a moral high ground by pointing out these people are racist and that that's bad, the movie isn't really doing anything to write interesting stories for black characters, which in and of itself, I think where we're at right now in 2021 is problematic. 
when you hear the term tokenism going around. There's no better example of a movie that does it than this one. I think it would have been better if they just didn't explore that racism aspect at all. If they had yeah. just kept the movie about this murdered daughter, you know, who did it and the problems of the system and trying to silence the woman, the mother who's trying to find who did it, that would have been fine. I don't understand be, why they threw in all this racism stuff as it well. It would be more authentic because that's really the story that they're exploring. But I think they're falling prey to virtue signaling. And that's why they're trying to say racism is bad, but they're not really doing it in an authentic character-based way. Either just don't go into the racism stuff, make the cop just an alcoholic idiot or, or sexist misogynist, or actually have black characters of consequence in the movie, maybe make one of the main characters black, I don't know. Maybe make the mother black and so you have that extra dimension of the unsolved rape and murder. Maybe that would have been the better way to go if you want to do that because you can do two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah, but don't just use race to fulfill your own agenda of seeming moral. I don't think that's right. No. Beyond those two little fixes that we suggested there in terms of what path the movie should take, I think they should have actually shown more of what Dixon was before this, you know, life-changing epiphany he had or this redemption he had where we see aspects of him that maybe are good-hearted or that reveal his good side. It could be a little gesture he did or maybe something he said or something that's revealed about him through his mother. I don't know. If you were going to make him a racist, show him actually be racist. Do a racist thing. Just saying someone is, is racist doesn't have the impact of actually showing the consequences visually and psychologically of, of doing that. That takes us to the end of the movie and I guess at this point, so he's on this path of redemption and, he's, and he decides he wants to solve the murder of Mildred's daughter. What makes this kind of hollow redemption of Dixon so problematic in the context of the movie is he's really an important piece of the movie's main theme, which is anger just begets more anger. And when you have uh, this kind of redemption just seem rushed and also hollow and unrealistic, it takes away the impact. So what ends up happening is Dixon is all burnt up and he's just wallowing <laughs> in... Um, he's all burnt up. He's wallowing in a bar and he eavesdrops on a conversation where one of the men, and he's the man who walked into Mildred's store earlier in the movie and threw something around and kind of insinuated like he might be the one who raped and murdered her daughter... It's that man again, and he's talking about doing fucked up things to he's, he's a woman. He's talking about an occasion where a woman was burning, and he... I can't remember if he raped her or he watched somebody else rape her. Mm -hmm. So the former officer, Dixon, overhears this and thinks he's caught the guy. So to prove it, he gets into a fight with him, scratches the man across the face, and gets his DNA under his fingernails. I ask Ali at this point, wouldn't that be illegally obtained evidence and not administrable in a court of law and that it never comes that far um, because it turns out that the DNA from that man actually didn't match the DNA at the crime scene. But mm -hmm. the new police chief says good job for trying. It's one of those things too where I think this is a pattern I've seen in movies where character to redeem himself allows himself to just get beaten up. He, he just gets pulverized by this guy to get that DNA. And again, I think it's like a tactic the movie's doing to make us root for him despite his 
you know, racism and all that, but I, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it whatsoever. I, I just never felt that that character was a real person. But anyway, he initially tells Mildred about this and it gives her some hope. And then when he tells her the bad news, she's disappointed, but it, he brings up something else. Like, do you want to just go get this guy anyway? Yeah, he says to Mildred, okay, he's not the guy who raped your daughter, but he did rape somebody. And at that moment, you can see the look in Mildred's eyes that she sort of gets what he's saying and that justice might not be able to be done for her daughter right now but some sort of justice might be able to happen and so they just go on this uh, road trip the two of them they're they're now <laughs> maybe not best of friends but they're united in purpose and, and I they have a gun in the car and they have a gun in the car and so i kind of like this ambiguity in the end which i wish there was more of throughout the movie where it leaves us in a cliffhanger will they go kill this person or will they hold off and not do it it's it's something that they talk about and they say we'll figure it out on this road trip and i liked it because they're trying to figure out are we going to just keep going down this path of anger does it lead to anything good or should we just cut our losses pretty much and basically mildred's answer to that is i don't know so they drive off into we'll the see. sunset. We'll see, right? They drive off into the sunset and the viewers left not really knowing what happened there. So that's how the movie ends and it's one this is the second time I've seen the movie and compared to other dark comedies like the best ones I can think of where it just left me filled with just emotion and questions and thinking what would I do? This movie really left me with nothing. I would say that it was ultimately like this weird caricature fantasy that explores some real issues and then ruins them with, like we talked about earlier, sitcom humor. Uh, we didn't even talk about this character at all. There's someone who's a love interest, sort of, of Mildred. Oh, yeah, the most famous guy in the whole movie, Peter Arguably, Dinklage. Arguably, yeah. He's, <laughs> Game of Thrones. He has a, this is an example of just how this world isn't really fleshed out. He's he's just some guy who lives in the village, in the town. He likes her, likes Mildred. He covers for her because he witnesses her uh, burn, down the, burn down the police station and he gets a date out of it. So we're dealing with all the serious stuff and we're dealing with the redemption of Dixon. But we're cutting from that to the date scene between her and Peter Dinklage's character where it really does just become a sitcom because guess who comes to the restaurant too? The ex-husband and his young girlfriend. And there's a few jokes about Peter Dinklage being short. And That's also a confusing thing because they really mistreat that character. He's always referred to as the midget. The first time she's ever spoken about Mildred's laughing, I think that midget wants to get in my pants. I'm not sure why they have him there just to marginalize him. Or is it just for humor? That's what I mean. Like, it's unclear what the what the target of the humor is or what the purpose of the humor is. Is it just to be funny? Is it to make a point? Is it just to show how whimsical this world is? I have no idea. I would say this movie was an experiment, maybe interesting at times, but kind of a failure in capturing the dramatic elements through the comedy. And which is a shame because this director has done it in Bruges is, is great. Another movie he did, Seven Psychopaths which also starred Sam Rockwell. Also kind of uneven, but I would say it was a better movie than this. I would say as the movie critiquing bright-eyed, bushy-tailed novice that I am, that this conversation actually helped me to get more out of the movie than I would have gotten if I had just watched it. Oh, how so? Why so? I think I'm starting to understand better what he was going for, and I actually have a better appreciation for what he was trying to do through the movie even if he didn't completely succeed but at least getting the second go around to explore it has helped me to see it a little bit better but at the very least i'm tempted to check out his other movies for that reason on to final judgment shannon is three billboards fixable fine just as it is 
or damaged beyond repair. I think it's fixable. Just a few tweaks <laughs> and uh, good to go. Yeah. Really? Just a few Just tweaks? Just a few tweaks that we mentioned in this podcast. So director, take note. Shannon's talking to you. Ali, what do you think? I do think the movie's fixable. I think what we went over was more than just a few tweaks. <laughs> I think it would require really the issue of the movie. I wouldn't say necessarily it's in the actors or the cinematography or any of that stuff. It's in the script. I think a complete overhaul of how the characters besides Mildred are depicted and what they experience and what we see them experience needs to be changed. And in the first half of the movie, they should be fleshed out more or the focus should be more on those aspects of them that the movie wants us to appreciate or get insight into later on. So in the case of Dixon, his racism and his supposedly good inner heart and Chief Willoughby, just spend more time with him, really, to understand why he's this moral balance of this movie, this moral center, what makes his struggle more more genuine, instead of just saying, oh, he has cancer. It's almost like a crutch that you're supposed to sympathize with someone because they have cancer. Uh, I mean, that that might be part of it, but we need to have a fully fleshed out character instead of just rushing it. Aside from that, I think either focus your movie on racism and have that be a bigger part of it or focus your movie on this murdered daughter. Pick one of those two. If the movie had done that, it would have been better. And the last thing I'd mention is if you want to go surreal, dark comedy, maybe do it more organically. If you want to be more realistic, maybe blend the dark comedy elements more organically as well instead of just doing them for laughs or just to have the sitcom punchline in the end. This reminded me of a time when I was writing a lot of music. I'm a musician for people who don't know that. And so I had a composition mentor who I would go to with the pieces that I was working on. And for everything that I did, if he noticed anything that kind of seemed out of place or superfluous, or even for the meat and potatoes part of the piece, he would say, you know, what are you trying to do here? Why are you doing this? O often what he did in our lessons was he would just ask me questions to really refine my vision so that there was nothing extra, nothing non-essential in the piece of music. And I kind of think that's what this director needs. Just someone to say it like, okay, what are you really trying to do here? How is this aiding for, to your vision or is this taking away from your vision? Before we sign off, as always, we have recommendations for things we've been watching lately. Shannon, you can go first. My recommendation is a Spanish horror movie that you can watch on Shudder called Shrew's Nest. I enjoyed it. It had some good scares, some good squeamish moments, a decent plot. It was unpredictable, nice twist at the end, had everything that I wanted in a horror movie. What's the hook? It's narrated by one of two sisters, the younger sister. And she said every night before she went to sleep, her older sister would come and read stories to her. And these stories were often horrific stories in which people died or bad things happened to them and then they show what the book was called and it's called the holy bible and i just love that so much so the whole movie is about an older sister who's really driven by religious conservatism basically to start doing crazy things but it's not supernatural I don't know if I'm really sold to watch this, I think. I know, but the thing with horror is that the more you tell, the more it spoils things. So the intrigue is so important. Okay. That's that's how I'm getting away with that. All right. And my recommendation is for the Amazon Prime show, Zero Zero Zero. This is a mini series. The centers on one cocaine deal. Just we spend one? 
Yeah, just one. <laughs> we spend time with the people who sold the drugs, the people who are buying it, and the brokers who are the in-betweens. It sprawls over multiple continents. What I really liked about the show is that it doesn't really tell us how to feel about anything that's going on. So all these characters are doing terrible things. Uh, they're killing people. They're getting their hands dirty. And they're risking the lives of their loved ones for this drug deal to to get through but it isn't telling us how to feel about it it's that seems like any social justice movie could take a page out of that book you i know? agree don't try to manipulate us just like present some stuff and with ambiguity and nuance and you know let the viewer come to their own opinions we just see the the world of these characters from their own terms and of, of what they're trying to accomplish someone is trying to get revenge or someone is trying to make, get a better life for his family and it is what it is people die and sometimes we never see them again main characters die and their deaths don't necessarily have a meaning or some greater purpose and that's just what life is and i, I think that's what it really captured what the lives of people are involved in the drug trade and how it just kind of reaches out to so many aspects of our society that we don't even realize it it's a reflection really of how we're all part of this global network whether it's you know positive things whatever you want to call a positive thing or negative things like cocaine amazing amazing effort went into the show i highly recommend it i tried to get shane to watch it she gave up in the first episode but i think if you are patient it will definitely pay off i'm impatient that's what you get and that's our podcast. Thank you so much for listening to our review of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I'm your host, Ali. And I'm Shannon. Bye!